U.S. men's national team's shocking failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup plunged the program into a dramatic period of grief. I mean, I woke up this morning, I physically ached. It was a disappointment, a shame. Anger. I literally drove home, my wife even said. She's like, you're shaking. And I'm like, I'm angry. And uncertainty. Every single one of those players, they can take some nightmares yep. for the rest of their lives because this is an utter embarrassment. Frankly, it sucked. For the first time in a generation, the Americans missed out on the world's biggest party, blowing a quadrennial chance to propel the game that much further forward back home in the States. If there was a silver lining to the failure in Cuba, it was the accelerated ushering in of a new generation of young players. The new team would be built around the first of the young stars that emerged on the scene, Christian Pulisic. A huge impact, huge impact. You know, everyone wants to be Christian. Everybody wants to be, everyone wants to wear his shoes. You know, he's the face of American soccer right now. In this episode, we'll examine how Christian Pulisic changed the trajectory of the U.S. men's national team. I'm Sam Stasekul. And I'm Paul Tenorio. And this is episode two of From Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team. Americans playing and succeeding in European soccer is not a new phenomenon. DeMarcus Beasley was the first American to play in a Champions League semifinal when he did so with PSV in 2005. Clint Dempsey played for Fulham in a Europa League final in 2010 and scored that famous goal against Juventus earlier in the tournament. Tim Howard starred in the Premier League for years. But even with that history, it is difficult to argue that Christian Pulisic did not open new doors for American soccer players abroad. I mean, he's a trailblazer in the fact that he's played for a big, big club at a young age and got transferred for a ton of money at a young age. As U.S. coach Greg Berhalter told us, Pulisic's success as a teenager at Borussia Dortmund and his record sale to Chelsea flipped on its head the idea of what an American was capable of doing in Europe. No, no American's done that. And that's why, I mean, he's a special, special person, special player. I mean, that's new, new territory. When you're tra- getting transferred for, to Chelsea for 60 million plus, I mean, that's a big, that's big news anywhere. Pulisic's $70 million move to Chelsea helped open the pathway for American players like never before. The possibilities available to Americans now is something that U.S. soccer players have been striving for across three decades. It opened up a little bit. It opened up a little bit after the 90 World Cup, and that's because we had a little bit of success. Three-time U.S. World Cup veteran Marcelo Balboa recalled the very earliest days for USMNT players trying to make their way abroad. We had quality players, but at that point in time, who was going to give an American, an American soccer player, an opportunity to to go play on their team? Who was going to take that risk? Who was going to make an investment in an American? And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was very few and beyond because Tab, we, we knew Tab was special. We saw it in the 90 World Cup. John Harks was special. Tony, we knew, was going to be that guy. But uh, there wasn't anybody knocking at our door. It was basically us going somewhere, trying out, and then realizing that they didn't want us, and then we came back. U.S. head coach Greg Berhalter, who signed with Dutch teams Vole as a young central defender straight out of the University of North Carolina in 1994, and spent the bulk of his 17-year playing career in Holland, Germany, and England, remembers a non-existent pathway to Europe for American players as recently as the mid-90s. There was no pathway. (laughs) It was a dream, you know, there, there was no pathway, it was, it was just circumstance, you know. I got, you know, I happened to play in Holland with the Olympic team and we played a couple friendly games and, and they saw me there and they liked me and they offered me a contract. It was like, it, that stuff was unheard of, you know, that, that wasn't happening. Obviously, things have changed in a big way over the last 25 years. 
The more recent arrival of several young American players at such high-profile clubs has been a big driver of optimism around this U.S. team over the last few years. If they can make it where no American has ever made it before, surely that must mean big things for the national team. I mean, that question is still to be answered, and it's a debate that you and I have lodged many, many times. It's one that we hear batted around U.S. soccer communities, whether it's current players, former players, general managers, coaches. There isn't a clear consensus on what it means that these young players are playing at such big clubs. Why? Mostly because they're still young. Some of these players are playing inconsistently. Sometimes they are in good form and they're playing all of the time and scoring goals and getting people excited. Other times they're on the bench and they're struggling to break into the team. That's natural at this point in time in their career. They are 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. That consistency just isn't going to be there yet. But it's left this huge question mark, Sam, over how much we should value the names of these clubs and how do we weigh that against the talent of these players and, of course, the potential. This goes into a few different things for me. For one, American soccer culture has always been beset by a huge amount of insecurity. We are underdogs as a nation in this sport on the men's side. And for so many years, the country was striving to get players in places like the clubs that players on the current team are playing for. So that's exciting. On the other hand, you got to put that in context. Like Marcelo Balboa and Greg Berhalter said, there was an opportunity before. That doesn't mean that past players weren't talented. It just means that those big clubs would never, ever take a chance on American players. That's changed. The world has gotten smaller. Globalization, technology increased money in the game. All of that has led to increased scouting, not just in the US by European clubs, but all over the world. Paul, I think back to the starting 11 that Japan used against the US in a friendly in Germany in September. That wasn't Japan's strongest team. They rested a few of their best players, but their 11 included three players from the German Bundesliga, one from the Premier League, one from La Liga in Spain, one from Ligue 1 in France, one from one of the biggest teams in Portugal, another from one of the big two teams in Scotland. It's a pretty similar makeup to the US roster in terms of where those players are playing. And the point is every country, not every country, but many countries at the World Cup are doing these things. They're placing players at big clubs in big leagues in Europe in a way they haven't before. Exactly right, Sam. So while this team and the players where these players are playing is different than what we've seen from past U.S. teams, it's not so different from many of the teams that they're going to face at the World Cup. Whether it is a game-changing era for this U.S. soccer team or not isn't really the point, though. No matter the reasons, what's clear is that the pathway from the U.S. to those big European clubs is now flowing freer than it ever has. And as Tyler Adams detailed to us, it's unlikely to stop anytime soon. The sheer number of players that are now playing in Europe and having that early on success, I think that just in terms of scouting for teams you know, worldwide, they're probably looking at the American market and saying, who's the next Chris Richards? Who's the next Christian Pulisic? Who's the next Weston McKenney? And just going down the list and seeing who they can find. Um, so I think that you know, we've opened the door you know, slightly wider now um, and teams are having that, the urge to look and find the, the next best player, the next best young American. As is the case with so many things involving the USMNT, Pulisic was the face of that change. He grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the son of a father who played in American soccer's minor leagues in the late 80s and early 90s, and a mother who played college soccer at George Mason. 
From the very beginning, Pulisic was a special talent. He was involved in U.S. youth national teams from a young age, a member of the now-defunct U.S. soccer residency program in Bradenton, Florida, where he played alongside guys like Adams and McKenney and starred for the U.S. U-17s. He was there, down in Florida. It didn't take long for Pulisic to catch the eye of some of Europe's biggest clubs. He had a Croatian passport, still does, in fact, that he obtained through his paternal grandfather, who was born in the country and later emigrated to the U.S. That allowed him to move to Borussia Dortmund at age 16 in 2015, two years earlier than he would have been able to had he not had European citizenship. By the time he was 17, Lisk was already playing a significant role for Dortmund, one of the top teams in Germany, in the Bundesliga and in the UEFA Champions League. A young Pulisic broke out with an excellent devil-may-care performance on the wing, running at and past opposing defenders and regularly breaking in on goal. He did this pretty frequently back in those early days. He played a role with the U.S. as they made a run to the semifinals of the Copa America Centenario in the summer of 2016, then really announced himself in the European stage with a brilliant performance off the bench in a 2-2 draw for Dortmund against Real Madrid in the group stage of the Champions League. They like the attacking style of Pulisic. He assisted on a late equalizer for Andre Scherle in that match, going up against Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, Tony Kroos, Sergio Ramos, and all of the other stars on that Madrid team. Pulisic's performances started to change the way young American players were perceived in Europe. All of a sudden, they were no longer simply viewed as workmanlike options that could contribute to lower-tier teams in the biggest leagues people started to see Americans as game-breakers. Christian Pulisic didn't do this alone. Weston McKinney has helped drive the change too. First at Schalke in the German Bundesliga, where he moved in 2016 at the age of 18, and now at Juventus. McKenney spoke recently about how he's seen the perception around American players change during his career. I've seen it change a lot. I mean, you, you think you guys see it now also as well. You have clubs that players would have never thought they would play for. They're playing for them. And, you know, the fans are even chanting their names and making songs about them. I think you can just see we're not we're we're starting to I guess change the the, the way people you know view Americans in, in the world of soccer here in Europe and they're starting to you know respect the the quality of players that we have more and more uh, every year. It's only can go up from here. Veteran USMNT defender DeAndre Yedlin has seen this shift in real time. He moved from the Seattle Sounders to Europe in January 2015 and spent seven years in England and Turkey before returning to MLS with Inter-Miami earlier in 2022. Before he left Seattle, he got some advice on life in Europe from then-Sounders teammate Clint Dempsey, who had returned to MLS just 18 months earlier after spending quite a long time in the English Premier League with Fulham and Tottenham. I can remember, you know, before I went, you know, Clint telling me when I was at Seattle, just be like, be on guard, you know what I mean? Just look after yourself because, you know, they, they, there's still that kind of stigma that, you know, you can't play. So you really got to prove yourself over there. Maybe even prove yourself more than, than the guy next to you um, just because you're American. You know, over time, as, and as more and more players have gone over there and done well, there's starting to be a little bit more of a positive stereotype. You know, obviously everybody knows the, the classic stereotype of Americans is that, you know, we just work really hard and you know, can run forever and run through walls, da, 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 da. I think now you're seeing guys, you know, over there that tactically uh, are doing very well, technically, 
you know, very smart players. You know, obviously everybody really has it in them, in the American DNA of just, you know, working hard, but you know, you're adding all these other components and that's what's taking guys to these top top teams. Paul Yedlin and others think that that the stereotype of Americans has changed significantly. I think the perception of them has shifted a little bit. But I think I would argue a little bit against that general stereotype of hardworking, difficult to play against, good athlete American. I don't know if that's changed so much. What do you think? It's still very much the ethos of the American player in Europe. I mean, even when you see the success of three of the most prominent Americans playing in Europe right now, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, those three players have forged that success around those qualities, right? The ability to run, press, work hard get stuck in, make tackles, get up the field fast vertically. That has made those players invaluable in some ways to their teams, whether it's Adams and and Aronson at Leeds or Red Bull before that, or Weston McKinney at Schalke and even at Juventus. I think what's interesting, though, is that there is probably a change in perception of what type of American player you can look for when you're scouting. That there is the possibility that there are players like Gio Reyna, like Christian Pulisic, who are more technical, who can contribute to your team as a a technically gifted player and not just a player who's going to run and tackle and press the way that people probably perceived Americans in 1994, 1995, you know, even in those early 2000s before that 0-2 team. So the possibilities have shifted is what you're saying, but the backbone basically remains the same as what it used to be. Am I reading you correctly there? I think so. And I think we've even seen that with this U.S. team through qualification. It started off as a team that wanted to try to play a possession system that showcased that tactical ability, that technical ability. And over the course of the next few years, turned into a team that was built around transitioning and running and getting vertical as quickly as possible. It doesn't speak to an inability to play technically. I think it speaks to the fact that the strength is still in the physical nature, the speed, the physicality, the mentality, as much as anything else. Getting back to Pulisic and kind of the journey that he's made and how he's changed things for American soccer. In January 2019, he did the biggest thing that has been done by an American player in terms of shifting how people think about them around the world. History was made today with the news that Christian Pulisic has become the most expensive American soccer player of all time. That was when Dortmund agreed to sell him to Chelsea for a record fee, $73 million. He stayed with Dortmund through the end of that season and moved to London in the summer of 2019. That amount of money completely shifted things in a way that has been perhaps even more important than anything Pulisic has ever done on the field. Transfers are a huge business. His sale showed that Americans could be profitable for clubs looking to make a dent in that market. There wasn't a ceiling on the value of the player anymore. You know, so because a lot of levels in Europe look for players as investments. And if you know, okay, you know, the max we're getting out of this guy is six million, like they're not going to even bother investing in him. But when you see a guy go for 60 million, you know, you say, okay, you know, this could be a market that we're worth investing because we can get a big return. Pulisic's journey also had an important effect on some of his peers, giving them the belief that they too could go to Europe and succeed. Christian was the trailblazer. Adams, who moved from the New York Red Bulls to Red Bull Leipzig in January 2019, certainly felt that. I think his early success gave young Americans the ambition that we could succeed in Europe. I think before that, there was a lot of unknown factors. I mean, for me personally, there was interest before I was 18 to go to Europe, but I couldn't really do anything. Like I didn't want to have 
to go to Europe, live alone, not be able to play games. And, you know, the whole idea of me playing football is I want to play games wherever I am. So um, when I saw Christian go over and he, I think he turned, he was 17 or whatever, and he had a European passport and he was playing games early on. I mean, I remember turning on the TV and, and watching him and that was inspiration for myself. So um, as soon as I got the opportunity to do that, when I was eligible to play games, you know, I took that opportunity. So I think uh, for me, in a sense, I wanted to be a role model to, to some young guys and show that we could make it there. Um, because when you first touch down in Europe, you have this target on your back, so to speak, where, you know, you're just an American, you know, what can you really do? And you have to break down a lot of barriers in order to prove yourself. But once you do that and people respect you, then, you know, it's easier, of course. Gio Reno followed Plissick's footsteps by joining the Dortmund Academy when he turned 16 in 2019. Just being at big teams is is inspiring for a lot of young kids obviously christian's not much older than i was but i was 13 14 when he was kind of breaking through really starting to play a lot at at, uh, at dortmund so i think he was someone that i always looked up to in a way and said that i wanted to be doing what he was and with the national team when i was pretty young i wanted to be there so i saw that not only him at dortmund but there's a lot of young guys at dortmund that do really well so and of course, if Americans there, it makes it a little bit, uh, a little bit easier. It makes you believe a little bit more that you can just do well there too. So he's, he's paved the way, and I think all of us just just have to tell kids to keep on going and keep on having fun and keep on working hard. Because if we can do it, then there's many other kids in America that that can definitely do it too. Coming up, we'll dive into how exactly a revamped U.S. soccer development system helped shape this generation of American players in Europe, and also examine the pressure on Christian Pulisic to perform for the U.S. in Qatar. I have you as the head that wears the crown. If you are the main guy, that's what comes along with it. More on that after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Paul, we already talked about the role of globalization and the fact that a lot of countries are now putting players at big clubs in Europe, not just the U.S. But there are some other structural factors that have played a big role in increasing the number of American players in places like Dortmund or Schalke or Chelsea or what have you. One of them is the maturation of the youth system in the U.S. When Burhalter was growing up, shoot, man, when you and I were growing up, there was basically no actual soccer infrastructure in America. Guys played in high school, they fought for a limited number of college scholarships, and that was kind of it. A lucky few got to try and carve out professional careers. For guys older than Burhalter, players like Marcelo Balboa and his peers, they were lucky to earn any wages at all from playing soccer in the United States. There wasn't even a pro league in a viable way until MLS was formed in 1996. The U.S. was a soccer desert, essentially. 
The advent of MLS in 96 started to change that, but the real step forward came with the introduction of the U.S. Soccer Development Academy in 2007. I actually covered the U.S. Soccer Development being founded, and even back then in those early days, people talked about the potential for the academy to start to fill what Bruce Arena once told me was, quote, the black hole of American soccer development, how to help players get to that age of 18, 19, and 20 in a more ready way to contribute professionally. The DAs had its issues. It folded in 2020, but it brought minimum standards to the top youth teams in the U.S., and it put them in regular competition against each other. MLS also mandated that each of its team institute real academy programs. Some, like FC Dallas, the Philadelphia Union, and both New York teams, the Red Bulls and NYCFC, began throwing real resources at their academies. And it's no accident that all four of those clubs will have academy graduates at the World Cup. FC Dallas could have five, Philly and NYCFC, two each, while the Red Bulls will have one in Adams. The DA is gone now, but the infrastructure is still in place via MLS Next, USL, and other leagues that are running youth soccer in the United States. Combine that with the fact that European teams are now firmly established in the US youth scene. Clubs like Manchester United, Chelsea, Dortmund, they either have full-time scouts that are watching young American players who are based in the United States, or they send people here all the time. Barcelona has their own youth academy in Arizona to potentially pluck players. No one's made the leap from Arizona to Barca just yet, but a few of those players have ended up turning professional at different MLS clubs. That doesn't mean that there still isn't work to do here, of course. Simply being rostered to a big European team doesn't in fact mean that any of these players are necessarily better than some of their American predecessors who, by and large, as we mentioned earlier, didn't have anywhere near the same kinds of opportunities as the current group of players. Pulisic's a decent example of that. He's won a Champions League. He's had excellent spurts at Chelsea, but he's mostly been a spot starter and role player under three different managers now. McKennie's in a similar place. He plays at Juventus, but it's not the strongest Juve team. It's actually probably one of the worst Juve teams we've seen in the last 20 years. Goalkeepers Matt Turner and Zach Steffen are contracted to big clubs at Arsenal and Manchester City, but they're backup goalkeepers. Sergio Dest is at AC Milan, but it's alone, and it's already his third team in his short career. Few of these guys are asked to play leading roles for their high-profile clubs. As Clint Dempsey told our colleague Chris Camrani, that remains a frontier that Pulisic and his U.S. teammates have yet to cross. He's showing that Americans can be at big clubs and, and representing and, and, and getting minutes and, and making an impact in games. And it's, just, it's just about not only being at the big club, but trying to find a way to be the big player on the big, on the big clubs. That's, that's, that's the real key, right? Is to be the person that's always in a starting eleven that is seen as the main guy for that team, like you are for the national team. And, you know, once, you know, we have people who are doing that. I mean, that, that, that's the only other level I think yet to attain is to be the main guy for the big clubs, the top two, three, four in, in each league and, and, and being the person who's scoring the most goals and most assists or getting the most, most shutouts and clean sheets or, or what have you. Having someone make that leap will be important for the USMNT. It hasn't happened before the 2022 World Cup, but there's a chance that someone could take a star turn in Qatar. The expectations, of course, are that it will be Pulisic. Fair or unfair, he's the face of this team, the one who will shoulder the public burden if the U.S. falls short in the tournament. Pulisic, of course, isn't the first star to deal with this kind of pressure, and not even the first with the USMNT. Landon Donovan carried that pressure into the 2006 World Cup after breaking out in 2002. 
Clint Dempsey also knows what it's like to be one of the faces of American soccer. Camerani asked Dempsey his advice to Pulisic about dealing with that pressure at just 24 years of age. It's just kind of one of those things. It is what it is, right? Um, heavy is the head that wears the crown. If you are the main guy, that's what comes along with it. Focus on what you can control. And all we can control is how hard he's working and training, how well he's taking care of his body. Make sure he's put himself in options to be on the field. When he's on the field, take advantage of those moments and try to stay fit and make your career be as good as possible. When you start worrying about trying to be to this level, that level, am I going to be compared with this person, that person? Am I, are people going to remember me? Like, I, I think you get lost thinking about all that stuff. It can weigh you down. The less that you have to worry about, the better. And that's control what you control. Pulisic hasn't been at his best for the USMNT over the last year or so, but he's got the ability to break things open for the Americans in Qatar. Four years after he was supposed to make his World Cup debut, Pulisic will arrive in Qatar with his career in a much different place than it was back in 2017. Things haven't gone smoothly for him at Chelsea. He's had to navigate the pressures of his price tag and playing for a super club, and he's also tried to figure out his place with the US team. His nickname is Captain America, and he's often looked like he's carried a burden along with that moniker. He sometimes tried to do too much on the field for the U.S., to the detriment of both himself and the team. USMNT legend Demarcus Beasley noted that for Pulisic, being the face of American soccer is an added level of pressure beyond what he just does on the field. Everyone's calling him the next Landon, the next Clint, you know, all these things. Uh, and he was doing well. And then now you look at, you know, he's not playing for Chelsea. Uh, you know, the U.S. team hasn't played well as of late. He takes a, a lot of the you know, the responsibility and, and, and the criticism of the U.S. team. That's a lot to take for, for a kid. U.S. coach Greg Berhalter has seen him grow away from feeling the need to carry it all. But it'll be interesting to see how Pulisic handles the spotlight in Qatar. I've seen him grow leaps and bounds. You know, when, when, when he first got into the team, you know, I think there was Weston, you know, who was around and that was really it from, from his age. And then now as, as more young players come in, I think they're sharing some of that responsibility. But also I think he's changed his point of view and understands that like he just needs to play his game. He doesn't need to carry the team in every moment. And I think that was a burden that was put on him before. You know, now he doesn't feel as much. It's much more comfortable with the group, you know, it's much more comfortable with the staff. I, you know, I couldn't be more pleased with his progress in the last three years. The question is whether Pulisic actually needs to take all that responsibility on. Does he need to be the best U.S. player in Qatar for this team to reach its potential or even to just get out of the group? It's a difficult question to answer, Sam, because I think still to this day, Christian Pulisic is the player most capable of changing a game for the U.S. When he plays his best, the U.S. is a different team. And I think we should note that one of the weakest positions on this roster is the number nine. There's not a go-to goal scorer. And as a result of that, there is an added pressure on the wingers, whether that's Christian Pulisic or Gia Reyna, Tim Weah, Brendan Aronson. The goals have to come from somewhere. But I just rattled off three other names besides Christian Pulisic. There are other ways that this U.S. team can hurt you. And when Christian Pulisic tries to do too much, he seems to struggle. When he is one cog of the way the team plays, he plays a little bit more loose and tends to have a bigger impact. Sam, I wonder, do you think that Christian has to be the main guy, the go-to goal scorer in Qatar, or can this U.S. team do it without him even featuring? To get out of the group, he doesn't need to be at his best. 
I think he needs to be close to, but I think the U.S. could make it through, maybe beat Wales or Iran and draw one and maybe sneak through with four points. I think doing that is achievable without Pulisic reaching his top level. I think to win a game in the round of 16, to make a challenge maybe in the quarterfinals, to really go as far as they possibly can, yeah, Pulisic needs to be a star, flat out. That's that's sort of my opinion on it. I think he can be decent and they can get out of the group. But if they really want to advance and they really want to go far, Pulisic needs to be at his absolute best. Yeah, in some ways, Christian Pulisic represents the ceiling of this national team. However high his ceiling is, is probably how high the U.S.'s ceiling is. Pulisic's journey is a decent symbol for the story of the entire USMNT. He broke through at a young age at the sorts of clubs where Americans had never really gotten an opportunity, and in doing so, he helped open doors for his teammates at similar European clubs. Their ability and the clubs that they play for have raised the hype significantly around this team. But the journey, both for Pulisic and for many of his teammates, has been bumpy. There's hope heading into Qatar around this group, but there's some trepidation too. No matter what happens in the World Cup, what Pulisic did in helping drive the breakthrough of American players in Europe helped accelerate the development of this new USMNT. And regardless of what he does in Qatar or at any other future World Cup, that will be a huge part of Pulisic's legacy with the national team. Coming up on the next episode of From Kuva to Qatar. I just didn't realize how deep the wounds were. That we can play a friendly game, we can do a lot of good things in this friendly game, and you know, after the game, because we lost it, people are going to be outraged. Like, outraged. We'll talk about how the USMNT remade itself in the wake of the failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. The producer of From Kuva to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team, is Michael Zimmerman. The executive producers are John Hayes and Mike Smeltz. The creators of the series are Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekel. Special thanks to Chris Cramrani. For behind-the-scenes bonus episodes, become a subscriber of The Athletic or become a member of The Athletic's Audio Plus subscription service on Apple Podcasts. And for much more about the U.S. men's national team and the rest of the teams at the World Cup this year, keep it right here on The Athletic Soccer Show.